and this was the picture that came up, so I clicked it. <laughs> How could I not click it? And I clicked it, and I opened it up, and I learned that the Sunday scaries are, are the feeling of dread that we get, for some reason, on a Sunday night, when we look ahead into the, the coming week, and we anticipate a stressful working week, or we anticipate looking after children or grandchildren, whoever we care for, of just complex relationships, of just the busyness machine of our lives, all the daily monotony. And I read in this article that the Sunday scaries have a bunch of symptoms that go along with them. These are the symptoms. A racing heart rate, irritability, restlessness, looming negative thoughts, an upset stomach, headaches, sweating. (laughs) There was one person in the article who said this, For some reason, I question my whole existence on Sunday nights. (laughs) And I reckon, oh, I wonder, does that ring true for any of us? Do any of us get the Sunday scariest? Does this resonate with you? Uh, The article, it did a really good job of describing what the Sunday scaries are. But what it didn't do at all was explain why so many of us get the Sunday scaries. It didn't explain that at all. But I reckon the Sunday scaries are what happen when on a Sunday night, when it's quiet, we're alone, and we just sort of peer out from behind the trenches of daily life for just a moment. And even for just into the week, and we gaze out into the future. And I wonder if that feeling, if beneath that feeling is actually a deeper question that we're asking, whether we articulate it or not. I think the question is this, is there more to life or is this it? Is there more to life? And tonight, that's our question, that's the question we're asking, is there more to life? And I think that if we were to Uh, If we were to look at how the world has answered that question or through history, how has that question been answered, I think what we would find is that there are are two sort of primary visions or versions or answers to that question of of is there more to life and and what is life? So we're going to look at those briefly. So the first answer to that question, uh, I've called, uh, history would call nihilism, if you haven't heard of nihilism, that's totally okay, because I think a better name is nothingism, the nothingism story of life. Uh, here's a photograph that the nothingism story of life sort of captures it. This image is called Pale Blue Dot. Has anyone seen this before? I had to put an arrow on it. This is, this is a real photo taken from space, and you can see that tiny pale blue dot in that beam of light. That is planet Earth. And nothingists love this picture. I'll read you what astronomer Carl Sagan, what he said about this image. He said, Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. And in this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere. So here's how a nothingist would answer our question. Is there more to life? They would say, no. No, there is nothing, and you are, you are nothing, you are a speck of tiny space dust floating on the, on the pale blue dot in the middle of a big, cold, dark universe. 
And if we were to follow that idea through to its logical conclusions and we were to keep asking questions of the nothingness, we could say, so what's my purpose then? And they would say, nothing. Nothing. Because you, you are just the product of this long chain of evolutionary processes and adaptations. And you could say, well, okay, but what's love? And to that, they would have to say, well, it's nothing. It's nothing but just biological impulses and instincts and chemicals in your body and in your brain. And you could say, well, what's justice? To which they would say, nothing. It, life is just life. It, it, it is what it is. You could even say, well, then what is my meaning? What is my meaning? To which they'd say, nothing. There's nothing. And you are, and this is a direct quote from, from a lady writing in, in The Guardian recently. She said, I am a chunk of meat hurtling through space on a rock, pointless, futile, meaningless. So is there more to life? The nothingist says, no, there is only the physical world. Who could we look at that sort of embodies this story, who sort of lives out of this answer? We could go back to uh, 17th century. This is Thomas Hobbes. He was an English philosopher. And he said, we are just cogs and wheels and springs. <laughs> We're just machines, is what he's saying. Or we could go more contemporary. We could look at Richard Dawkins, a very famous atheist. He said, no, 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 you are DNA. Your, your DNA and DNA, it just is. It neither knows nor cares, but we all dance to its music. That's what Dawkins says. But if Hobbes and Dawkins aren't really your crowd, and fair enough, they don't seem like the cheeriest guys, there's someone else that I think is, it sums up the nothingest view of life that you might recognise. Eeyore. Eeyore. When he says this, he says, it's all for naught. And when Eeyore says, it's all for naught, he's capturing something of the nothingest story of life. So that's option one, the nothingest, the nihilist. Is there more to life? No. There is nothing, you are nothing, it all comes to naught. That's option one. But the world and history would have also a second option, a second answer, I think a more modern answer, which we could call the narcissist answer, the narcissist story of life. And the fundamental story of narcissism is not that my life is nothing, but that my life is everything. I've got an image that I think captures the narcissist view of life, possibly. There it is. That captures the, the, the narcissist's view of life. And he would say, I'm not a passenger in this cold, dark universe. I'm the main character. And I light up the whole stage. And, he, and the narcissist would say, no, 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 life is not meaningless. It is full of meaning. And it's meaning that I need to go out and create for myself. And I am not a waste. Just by being, I deserve the admiration, the adoration of other people. The narcissist would say, and I'm not defined by anybody else. I get to define my own reality. And so it's up to me as the individual to forge my own unique identity. 
It's up to me to captain my own heroic soul, to author my own brilliant story, to sort of live out my own incredible personal potential, to achieve my goals, my dreams, to find my happiness, live my truth. And in this story of life, people are not space dirt, people are little gods. People live as little gods. And again, who could we look at that embodies this story, that lives out of this answer? We could look at Aaron Burr. And Aaron Burr was the vice president of the US in the early 19th century. Now, I'm not saying that he was a narcissist, but I think this quote, it actually captures something. He says, I live my life as I deem appropriate and fitting. I offer no apologies, no explanations. And that picture, that's Leslie Odom Jr. who plays that character in the Hamilton musical. And one of his big lines is, I am an original. I think we could look at someone else that embodies this sort of main character energy that you might know, that might be more familiar. We could look at Elsa. It feels slack having a go at Elsa because it's like, you know, how old is it? Maybe she's too young. But... Elsa, she says this, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Doesn't that capture something of the narcissist storyline? So is there more to life? The narcissist would say, yes, yes there is, and it's all about me, I am everything. And if, if these two answers the nihilist and the narcissist, if they are the two answers to that question of, is there more to life? Either, no, you're nothing, or yes, you're everything. Are we satisfied with either of those answers? Are they satisfying? Or, or can we actually resonate with either of those stories, those answers? Because if they are our only two options, we are on the horns of a dilemma. We are pinned on the horns of a dilemma. Because with nihilism, as much as we might say, I only believe in the physical world. Nobody lives as if that's true. Nobody lives as if that's true because when we see terrible injustice, what happens? Our blood boils and we want to call it out. And when we fall in love, we don't look into our partner's eyes and say, well, I would like to replicate the species with you because of blind biological instincts and impulses coursing through my brain right now. <laughs> and if you did, you're a psycho. <laughs> and we celebrate life's achievements. We mourn our losses as if life really matters. So no one can live, no one truly lives as a nothingist. Nihilism, it, it leaves our lives very thin and it makes us out to be liars, which leaves us only with narcissism. And the issue with narcissism, even if you were to live as if we were at the centre of the world, it never delivers the flourishing that it promises. What, what I mean is this, have you ever spent time with a narcissist? <laughs> what was it like? It pushes people away. It keeps us shallow. And it, it means that we can never face up to our own weaknesses and failings because we need to keep up the act. 
the performance, which means that it is a brutal way to live because it only works for people who can keep up the act long enough. It ends in despair, narcissism. It leaves us self-absorbed, lonely. And so if these are the two basic answers that the world leaves us with, we are pinned on the horns of a dilemma. And what hope do we have? Last week, I heard the story, I heard from a young woman, her name is, is Macy, at a conference, she was being interviewed, and, and in her own words, she said that she was on this quest to finding if there was more to life. And she dived into the world of New Age spirituality, in terms of manifesting and positive thinking, and she started a TikTok account that got 40,000 subscribers, and she was putting out content all about this stuff, and, and this is how she reflected on that five years of her life. These are her words. She said, I would fluctuate between feeling really powerful and then really lost. And I just had no consistent peace. I would fluctuate between feeling really powerful and really lost and I just had no consistent peace. And I reckon that's where a lot of us live. I reckon that's where a lot of us live our lives. I actually don't think there's, there's hardly any true nihilists out there, and I'm certainly not accusing any of us of being narcissists, but I wonder if that resonates, no consistent peace, and sort of flipping between feeling really powerful and then really lost. Sometimes feeling like something of a little god, and then also sometimes feeling more like dirt. What we need is a better answer for life don't we? We need a single, coherent story that actually makes sense of our lives. And the good news is that there is another way. There is another answer to that question, what is life? And it's God's vision of life that He reveals in the Bible. And so open your Bible up if, you haven't, if you've got one in front of you. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and we're going to hear God's own answer to this question of, uh, is there more to life and what is life? So Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, I'll give you a second just to find that in your Bible. Genesis 2, 7 says this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So here God is revealing who we really are, what life really is. And what we see straight away is that we are formed, we are made, we are shaped from both the dust of the earth to something physical, but also from the breath of God. And breath there is the same word as spirit, from the spirit of God. And so that means that we have both a physical body and a spiritual soul. God is telling us who we really are. And so why is it that sometimes we can feel like dirt and yet long for a, a sort of godness? Can you see why from Genesis 2.7? Because God, the source of life, formed us to be both physical and spiritual. And He's telling us who we really are. 
That's Genesis 2-7. But if you cast your eyes to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, just beforehand, God actually tells us more of the story. He fills in more of the picture. Genesis 1-26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and it goes on. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And so if, if Genesis 2-7 is telling us who we are, Genesis 1-26 is telling us whose we are. Do you see that? It's not Genesis 2-7, who we are, 1-26, whose we are, because in Genesis 1-26, God, three in one, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, decide to make mankind in His image, in their image, in their likeness, two words that mean the same thing. People are the image of God. You may have heard of the the Imago Dei, Latin for the image of God. Imago, image, Dei, God. People are the image of God. And so to think about it, you could could think, think of a mirror and think of how a mirror, it reflects and it images and it represents the real thing. And people were made to mirror, to image God, to be relationally connected to Him he is the source of light and life and love. We were made to mirror. We were made to image God. And then the back part of verse 26 is the task at hand, which is that, that these little the mirrors, we become mirrors who garden and govern the world, who care for and cultivate the earth. And so if we hold this story of life, God's story of life, up against the nihilist, the nothingist, and the narcissist, God's story says, you're not nothing. You are not nothing because you were made by the source of life itself. You bear His image. Or his, you bear His fingerprints. You are not nothing. And then to the narcissist, God's story says, you're not everything. You're not everything because you were imaged, you were patterned on someone beyond yourself. And you see what this, do you see what this does? To, to, to the nihilist, it brings hope. And, and then to, it humbles the narcissist. And so if we, if we bring all of these pieces together to bring Genesis 2-7, who we are, Genesis 1-26, whose we are, Bring it all together, we could summarize it like this. Our lives have dignity, but not deity. That's how we could summarize it. Our lives have dignity, but not deity. At this point, I would just love now to dive headfirst into the rabbit hole of that idea of people being made in the image of God, of having dignity, but not deity, and what that has done in the world and how that has turned Western civilization upside down. That's not where we're headed tonight. But I would just say that if you believe that every person matters, no, ma- no matter how much money, power or status that they have, and if you believe that the vulnerable deserve justice, and if you believe that the strong should not crush the weak, And if you believe that disability does not diminish the value of a person, 
then you are already a fan of God's story of life. Even if you hadn't traced the roots of that idea all the way back here to the Imago Day, the image of God in Genesis. We're not going down that rabbit hole because you and I, we have a bigger problem. We have a bigger problem on our hands. So we've just looked at one verse from Genesis 1, one verse from Genesis 2, and if we were to look at Genesis 3, we would see that Adam and Eve, these people who were made by God and for God, made to mirror and image God, they turn their backs on Him. They turn from God, the source of life. God is the source of light and love and life, and they turn from Him. And when, when you turn from light, what do you get? You get darkness. And when you turn from love, separation. When you turn from life, you get death. And so Adam and Eve, though they were made to mirror, that mirror is now cracked. The mirror is now cracked. The reflection of God is fragmented, it's damaged. They are cracked mirrors. And we could say, well, how did Adam and Eve turn? What do I mean by that? How did they turn from God? I think you could say it as simply as this. They attempted life without God. Fundamentally, Adam and Eve, they, they attempted life without God and they turned from Him. And it's in their turning that we see our turning as well because we too have attempted life without God, because when we live like a nihilist, we pretend that He's not there. And when we live like a narcissist, we pretend that we are God. And the Bible calls both of those things sin. And sin causes darkness, disconnection and death. Our problem, fundamentally, is that we too are cracked mirrors. And yet, and this is an astounding claim of the Bible, God doesn't just write a better story for life, but He actually steps into the story of life in the person of Jesus. He doesn't just author a better story, He steps into the story of life in the very person of Jesus. And in the New Testament, when we're reading about Jesus... Listen to how Colossians 1.15, the language it uses to describe Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It's using the, the image language again. The, the full verse, Colossians 1.15, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then in verse 19, it says, In Him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus is the perfect mirror of God. He is the perfect image, the perfect mirror, because He is God. He is God Himself. He is the substance and not the shadow. And He's come to earth. He has stepped into the story of life. And so since Jesus is God, I would want to know what He says about life. We just saw in Genesis... 126, that He was there when it was made, so I would want to know what He says about life. And that brings us to that one verse we had read, John 10, 10. These are Jesus' own words. 
He says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is our way back to the light and the life and the love of God, at life as He intended. So we can ask the question, is there more to life? And God says, yes, there absolutely is. And the fullness of life comes from being with Jesus because He is the perfect image of God and He has come so that we would have life in all of its fullness. And when we, when we come to Jesus, we turn away from searching for life in all those other places and we entrust ourselves, entrust our life into His hands, into His loving care. And then we find more to life. Steve mentioned it before, there's a course starting in week two of term two on Friday night called More to Life. And it's a very simple, it's a bunch of dinners at my place with me and my wife, Laura, where we're going to watch a short video, we're going to have dinner, watch a short video, and then have an open conversation about life and faith and meaning. And we get to keep chatting about these, these sorts of things. And if that is of interest to you, then please come and let me know, we would love to have you there. Or if you know somebody for who that, that would be a, a great opportunity for just to be able to talk to a real person over dinner, then please, the, the details are on the front, I can give you something you can text, I'll try and print out some cards as well. Please think about who, who could benefit from that. And if it's not for you and uh, you've got no one to invite, would you pray for it? Would you pray that people would be able to come and join and, and, and have these conversations and that we, that would be something that God would use to move them along in their journey? It's the 28th of April. I mentioned Macy before, that young woman who had gone into New Age spirituality and spent years in that world. In this interview, she explained that she turned away from all of that when she found Jesus. She turned away from all of that, she came to Jesus, and I want to read what her words, how she described what it was like to find more to life. She said this, I found unshakable peace. I just couldn't believe how good it is. I love that. I found unshakable peace. She previously said, I had no consistent peace. Now she says, I found unshakable peace. I just couldn't believe how good it is. Macy was discovering the fullness of life for the first time. Now, what is the fullness of life with Jesus like? It changes everything. <laughs> this is what I think it changes. Our, our life is re-enchanted. Our hope is utterly recovered. Our work, Monday to Friday, is reimagined. Our spirit within us is renewed. Our eternal future redirected. Our meaning is reclaimed. Our loves are reordered. Our character is refined. Our identity reconstructed. Our sense of time is reframed. Our guilt from sin is released, our heart is restored, our broken mirrors are remade, and we could even say our Sunday scaries are relinquished. <laughs> and yet, best of all, we are personally reconnected 
to the source of life itself with Jesus, the Lord of life. And that starts now when you become a Christian and it becomes all that it will be when Jesus returns. So is there more to life? God says, yes, yes, there is. And the fullness of life comes only from being with Jesus. So would you come to Jesus? Or if you already know Him, would you rest in Him? Would you find and enjoy the fullness of life that only He can bring? Amen. My last scripture class with...